Yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I am changing myself. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Ahoy, shit shows. How are we doing? Welcome aboard this shit show of a ship with this shit show of a captain. And I will tell you just how big of a shit show captain I am in in just one second. So today we are diving deep with Janine Rashidi. She is the author of the book, Abundance Beyond Trauma, Discovering Your Courage for Change and Commitment to Yourself. I stumbled across this book kind of randomly on Amazon about a little over a month ago, and I was like, this shit is good. I've read a ton of trauma books, uh, but this one really, I don't know, kept kept my attention and kept the pages turning, and it's like part memoir, part informational. And um, she has, Janine has quite a a story, which you're going to get to hear all about in my conversation with her. But she truly is just an example of how people can endure some pretty horrendous shit, yet come out on the other side thriving, like thriving in the aftermath. It's super inspirational. She also has her private practice, which is called Goodbye Tension. She's located in the Bay Area, but she also works with people virtually. And she helps people with a variety of of issues from trauma to digestive issues, chronic pain, utilizing a variety of non-Western healing modalities. So she'll also share a bunch about that in my conversation with her. So this is a this is a good conversation. It's a goodie, or rather, it's it's a so so. It's a so so one, right? I don't want to get your expectations high. I like to keep them, you know, nice and low. So uh, actually, this conversation sucks. <laughs> so this is me re-recording this first part. It is noon on Wednesday, so the episode has been out for approximately six hours. And I realized that not only did I spell our our guest name wrong in the episode title and in the show notes, but I also uh, pronounced it wrong in the initial rendition of this episode. So I was recording it initially, and I, instead of saying Janine Rashidi, I said, (laughs) I said, Shanine Jahidi. Yes, Shanine Jahidi. And I thought that was quite funny. So I shot uh, Janine Rashidi a little text and I was like, haha, I just by accidently called you Shanine Jahidi. Um, but don't worry, I'll get your name right when I actually do the episode again. Well, no, I didn't. I called her Janine Shahidi rather than Janine Rashidi. Yes, I called her Janine Shahidi. I spelled Janine wrong as well. So yeah, Captain Shitshow here. Uh, Janine Rashidi. Janine Rashidi. Okay, I am going to be transferring you back over to the uh, 
to the original recording of this episode now. But first, a few things. I would like to give a shout out to my newest Patreon shit shows. So Patreon is where I host three weekly Zoom support groups. This is where the shit shows come together to be shit shows with one another and heal and grow and laugh and all the damn things. So there is a support community that is just waiting to support you. (laughs) Stop depriving them. Stop depriving them. So let's give a shout out to these heroes and uh, maybe next week you can be a hero. So thank you, thank you, thank you too. Rebecca, Lorelai, Nicole, Dahlia, Amy, Emma, Angelica, Brianna, Michelle, Nancy, Angela, Jana, Spencer, Jay, Melissa, Leanne, Caroline. Thank you, shit shows. So hey you, how about uh, how about you damn the join Patreon as we're speaking, patreon.com slash adult child do it now go give me a little follow on the instagram and on the tiktok at adult child pod next give me a damn five star rating on apple or spotify if you've been listening for a while and you don't know how to do that jamie please reach out and and i'll help you give me a five star review Lastly, shout out to this month's sponsor, which is Integrative Life Center. So these are treatment centers in Tennessee, Colorado, Mississippi. They have inpatient programs. They have outpatient programs. They have intensive workshops, and they focus on addiction and intimacy disorders with a real focus on getting to the underlying root trauma. So go check out their show notes for links to their website, their phone number, and email. Thanks so much. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, y'all. Well, it is my pleasure to introduce Janine Rashidi. She is the author of Abundance Beyond Trauma, and her practice is called Goodbye Tension, which we'll be getting into to all of that. But welcome. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. So I've read so many damn books about trauma, mm. and yours was like the first one in a long time that really caught my attention. And I don't know. I felt like you were bringing something new to the space. So that's great. Good for you. I actually had not read many trauma books um, myself. So I I really didn't know how it compared, Uh, but it seems to be doing fairly well. It's reached bestseller six times now on Amazon. Um, That's amazing. Feedback, you know, and the purpose was not, not to make money. The purpose was to reach how many people will pick it up, read it and find it helpful and maybe pass it along so that everyone feels like they've got tools to help them, you know, get through their trauma. Well, luckily, like those two things go hand in hand, right? like reach and sales, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. No, I thought it was really 
wonderful, tons of stuff highlighted. Um, I really like how you weave your story in and boy, do you have quite a story. (laughs) When did you start working on the book? Uh, So when COVID hit, I remember I was actually, the inspiration came when I was, I spent a month with my youngest daughter who was pregnant and she was about to give birth. And so there was a lot of time just to kind of, I don't know, let things bubble to the surface as far as, you know, anything inspirational, because, you know, most of us were locked down anyway. And uh, I was asked to get on my first podcast before I ever wrote the book about trauma because a few people had heard about my story. And it was after that interview um, through the Ayurvedic community where I realized maybe I should just write a book. And so as I began to write the book, I realized I had some sort of block around writing, either writing Mm -hmm. or typing. So I actually spoke of the book and had it uh, transcribed. And I still, to this day, that's that's how my writing is uh, because I find it much easier to just speak it than to try to figure out, you know, uh, how to type it and all of that. I am the exact same way. I feel like there's some big nugget there. Yeah. And I don't know what it is, but like for me, same thing. I will spend 10 minutes on one sentence. Is that how you are? (laughs) Yes. And And it's it's so annoying. Yes. But this is another thing that I've noticed though. And I wonder, you're speaking it, but the other thing though that I've noticed too is that I need to be speaking in front of an audience. Mm. Like when I just try to speak with myself, I've gotten a little bit better, but I do find that I also overanalyze more, not to the same severity as writing. Right. But I find that when it's like me just talking to my phone that I will overthink things, et cetera. Whereas it's like, I need that crowd element. It's gotten, it's gotten easier for me. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know what the, cause can, do you remember that from childhood? Cause I can remember it from a very young age. Yeah. But what's interesting is I used to be so like, I had such stage fright, mm. you know, I was a, a really good singer. And the moment I had to get up at like, and do a solo, like I was just way too nervous. So it, it actually surprises me that I feel way more comfortable to speak in front of a crowd or in front of people uh, but there was always this feeling as a child of needing to like do do my absolute best in school and get the approval from the teachers. And it was probably because I wasn't getting the type of approval I needed at home, you know, um, but there's still like there's still inner child healing for me to do around the writing or or typing. There's something going on there. And I just it's not high on my priority list since I can do it this way. Yeah. Of all the yeah. things. I'm exactly. Doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is for me. For yeah. me, it, it, the fear and the thoughts that I remember from as early as second or third grade was that I knew what I wanted to say, but I just couldn't figure out how to put it into writings on a piece of paper. Yeah. And so then that's the, so when I sit down to write or if I'm going to write something that's, I get, I get triggered. Like I'll get physical anxiety in my body And I will go into the experience with the expectation that this is going to be a challenge for me and that I'm going to have a hard time figuring out what I want to say and that I'm not going to get anything done. Thank God I've just decided to become a podcaster and not a writer. So it works. Um, Okay. So I want to get into your story some. Sure. Yeah. You had, you had quite a, 
Like if somebody like wants to know what childhood trauma is, it's like your story. <laughs> and, you know, I tried to write it in a way that it wouldn't traumatize others. So I tried to keep it as high level as possible. There's a lot that didn't make it into the book. That's not, not, not necessary. Mm. Um, but one of the things I'm actually grateful for about my whole experience thus far in life is that whether um, you come from a very good upbringing or let's say you come from an incredibly hard upbringing with lots of trauma, lots of abuse, um, all the way down to like maybe you're a gang member or things like that. Um, I feel like I can relate with everybody. Mm -hmm. And I really love that. That means I can step into any dynamic and feel okay and comfortable, you know? So in that way, I'm actually totally grateful for those experiences. Yeah. And you don't have to like question, like some people are like, well, was my childhood traumatic? Was it? You're like, you don't have to worry about that stage. No, Um, I hear the opposite. People hear my story and then they feel like theirs doesn't, you know, measure up. And that's mm -hmm. why I referenced in the book that you should never compare your trauma because what was traumatic for you is your trauma that you cannot compare trauma at all. Some people will have trauma like I've had, and maybe it, they didn't feel exactly by it. That's wonderful. I happen to feel traumatized by it. That's my trauma. There's so many varying factors into how it impacts someone that is like beyond the actual experience itself, but it's really not. And I just made a video about this about how it's not about what happened. It's it's about what you came to believe about yourself in the world as a result of what happened. Yes. And so like for an adult child, our core issue is the, the faulty beliefs and fears that we've internalized as kids. And yeah. so being sexually abused versus somebody who's emotionally neglected, both of those experiences can result in the belief of I am unworthy of love or, you know, yeah. I am inherently flawed. So and especially as kids, like we're not able to make sense of things. And that's usually what leads us into unhealthy relationships then as we get older. You know, that's all we're familiar with. So if you only know and are familiar with trauma um, or dysfunction, you're going to go right into it. And that's why I continually just keep reiterating the message that you need to work on yourself first. It doesn't mean you can't have a relationship, but make yourself the relationship you know, marry yourself, date yourself, make sure that you are the priority because otherwise you're just going to keep attracting the same thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But I, and I was just going to make a video about this later, but I feel like I was doing that, yeah. but I wasn't, I wasn't getting to the core issues. Yeah. Right. Like I was taking breaks from dating. Right. I was, going to therapy. I just like thought I was just like thinking of an analogy of it. It's like, you know, like I was like this glass bowl and I had these, these big rock lying at the bottom, which was like my childhood trauma mm -hmm. that was getting stirred up. Anytime I would get into a relationship, I wasn't unaware of the rocks. I knew about the rocks and I could describe to you what the rocks looked like from the exterior. I could describe to you the events and everything that occurred but I couldn't tell you, I had no idea what was inside of the rocks, Yeah, which was the unresolved trauma, that it was even trauma at all, the yeah. feelings that I had suppressed, and then those internalized beliefs. But it wasn't, I wasn't able to do that because I didn't have like the language or the information. And it wasn't until I read the adult child book 
Mm-hmm. I finally had the context to be able to like see things more clearly. What yeah. was your aha? Wow. I don't know. I mean, the biggest aha for me, as far as a shift of direction, I mean, I ran away from home when I was 15. Yeah. Well, let's actually, let's, let's go to your childhood. So what's your earliest childhood memory? <laughs> um. Okay. My, my earliest childhood memory is actually an incredibly positive one. And so I'll honor my, my late grandmother with this one. I was two years old and she was holding my hand, taking me to a vending machine to get a Hershey bar because my uh, brother had just been born. Mm. So I remember that vividly. You know, I remember her pushing the buttons. I remember watching the Hershey bar come down. I remember my excitement. Wow, I'm going to meet my brother. Um, I remember mm-hmm. looking up at her, holding her hand. Um, so, yeah, I can remember as far back as two years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your earliest not so wonderful memory? Um, probably around the same age. Uh, so both of my parents, you know, they were unwell, um, you know, meth addicts, also alcoholics. Uh, they were physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, and sexually abusive. Mm-hmm. So um, I do have memories of, you know, different, different things happening uh, from both parents, uh, two years old being the youngest. Mm-hmm. And this went on, you know, continuously. And by the time I was 15, I was a straight A student destined for medical school. But school wasn't teaching me anything about how to deal with what was going on at home. My teachers, a few of them, I think, suspected. And so they would create, you know, opportunities for me to stay after school. Like my music teachers always were asking me to learn how to play a new instrument, stay after school, grade papers, things like that. Had you told anyone? No. And I can't say that even at that point that I felt like I could. I had some. Oh, I was going to say, if you felt like you had like something to tell. Yeah, because there was such a facade, like my mom would literally call it um, showtime. And showtime was, Mm -hmm. okay, everybody put on your happy face. We're going out into public and everybody needs to believe that we are all happy and doing well. Um, And this you know, facade went on for a long time. So I almost felt like nobody would believe me if I said anything anyway, Mm. you know, and now, you know, here I are years later and I've got friends from elementary, junior high, high school who've read my book. who were like, Oh my God, I had no idea. Their parents even contacted me. We had no idea. Wow. You know? um, Well, what did, I mean, what, I feel like people have this idea of what somebody who's on meth like looks like. I mean, what it. Oh, no, it wasn't obvious. Um, Yeah. Like most people think of a meth addict, they're all skinny, sucked up. And while both of my parents um, had gotten to that point at some point, um, it was not so incredibly obvious. You know, for a while they were able to maintain their jobs um, and still, you know, maintain their addiction. You know, they were functioning addicts to some level. There were times where it got really bad. We'd get evicted. All of our stuff would end up storage. They couldn't pay for the storage. We'd lose everything. Mm. Uh, I remember learning how to shoplift as a kid, you know, mm. peanut butter and jelly, things like that. Um, cause I have five siblings or have five. Or are you the, where are you? I'm the eldest. You're the oldest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there were periods where they'd get clean, but then they'd go back. So, you know. And what about um, other family? Well, my grandmother and grandfather knew. And I feel like they did the best that they could. Although I wish somebody would have just taken us out of the home. And even though like Child Protective Services had shown up quite a few times, um, we were never or I was never put in a, a home, you know, a different home. 
So I don't know if back then it was one of those, it was embarrassing to talk about, you know, I feel like there was that going on in the, the, the generational line, Oh yeah. you know, Stigma. but gra grandma was great in that she, she always, whenever we were at her house, she would, you know, take us to the land of fairy tales. And so that's where I feel like my storytelling capability and my love for being a grandmother now um, has really blossomed is because of her. I feel like I got through my childhood because of the ability to, to escape and totally escape, mm -hmm. you know? So now when I'm with, I'm with my grandchildren and I'm telling them stories or, you know, making them believe that the gnomes that are around me are alive and that they're doing things like that's part of, you know, what she passed down to me, mm. you know? Yeah. So when you were homeless, yeah. at what age? So at, at age 15, I dropped out of high school and I hitchhiked from Northern California to Southern California. And that, that was a very, and what was your plan? And was it to escape what was going on at home? Yeah. The plan was to escape what was going on at home. I, um, I didn't totally have a plan. I mean, I was 15. This yeah, was, yeah. all I knew was just go somewhere far, far away and figure it out when you get there. And what about with your other siblings? I mean, were you, did you not have a, a caretaker role with them? Oh, I totally did. You did. I totally did. And it was the hardest. Like, I remember I was on the run for 18 months. Wow. Well, I gave birth to my first daughter. And mm -hmm. I remember I would wake up crying every morning. Just missing them. Yeah. Did you have any money when you left? No, I had no money. Um, I hitchhiked to Santa Barbara. And I learned how to live homeless there. There was a homeless encampment. I met a lot of Vietnam vets and I, I, it, it clearly was like divine intervention because these people just knew something wasn't quite right, but mm. there was a way that we were relating. And I felt like they knew I had PTSD. I had no idea what I had, you know? And so people were just looking out for me and I knew I, I can't look homeless and I can't, um, I can't get picked up by the police. So I've got to be really careful, you know? And so I figured out where were the free meals being served. Um, I managed to get um, a tent. Uh, were you using drugs? No. Wow. I learned how to live on the beach. Um, I learned how to live like, I mean, now homelessness is so prevalent. And when mm -hmm. I see people living like off in the bushes, I'm like, yeah, that's how you do it. Mm -hmm. You know? But that's also when I met my uh, first husband, you know, and he was, I mean, now here's a good example of um, when you don't deal with your Is stuff. that like a good, should I maybe go there to like look for a husband? Like, I think, is that like a good yeah. encampment? Is that like a good place? I haven't oh, I, tried that, but I don't know I'm that willing. that's what I want to do. But I basically, you know, the first man to tell me he loves me, of course, I have mommy daddy issues. So anybody, whether male or female, who tells me, I love you, I'm going to take care of you, guess what? 15-year-old girl is going to totally believe it, or at least this one did, you know? And so I did, and I ran right into the arms of the same thing I had just left, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And thinking, okay, well, if I love him enough, um, if I do what he wants, he's totally going to change, you know? And he was twice my age, mm -hmm. you know? So, it, you know, 15, 32. And I had not, my father had always provided. So it did not occur to me that there would be a, a man who did not provide, mm -hmm. even though there were drugs that just didn't compute, you know?
Um, mm. So, you know, when I went into labor um, with my first daughter, because I got pregnant, obviously, on the run. And did you we, go to the, did you go to any doctor's visits at all? I did. So back then there were no, um, we didn't have a problem with identity theft. So I was able to lie and say that my purse got stolen. I gave a fake age. So I think I would tell people I was 19 and that I was waiting for my Medi-Cal stickers back then. They was stickers that they gave you. And so, um, basically wow. I got free medical care, free, um, shelter and women and infant children programs. And that was what I ate was from those coupons just from giving that story. Mm, wow. Yeah. Yeah. What year was this? 1994, 95. Okay. Yeah. So you probably like just made it. I just, <laughs> yeah. I totally just made it. Yeah. And then I remember, um, the, the house that we were in was in eviction and you and your you and your husband how did you yeah, get married we or were you actually married yet. we weren't okay. even married yet we got married after my first daughter was born so i was 17 but i remember going into labor and thinking i don't want my daughter to be in this situation i've got to figure something out and so i went into labor and that was the first time i called my grandparents mm. after 18 months and so they drove um by then i was man in- what was that call like you know, it was like a breath of fresh air. You know, of course, they were like crying. Oh, my God, where are you? Can we come get you? Yeah, I'm sure they were convinced and you were having interactions and not having any support. And I'm like, I just need help, you know. Mm-hmm. And so by then I was in Palm Springs because I knew the police were looking for me. There was a missing ch- children's report. And so when I would get suspicious, I would just move to the next um, next city. And would he come with you? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so he was able to like do odd jobs and, um, you know, make some cash here or there for the long time. I worked at a movie theater making four twenty five an hour. Um, and that's kind of what, why it was a little scary because you could trace me through my social security number. It was a valid job, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but so I went, I was in Palm Springs by the time I went into labor. And so then my grandparents came and they drove me th- and him through a sandstorm in the back of a truck wow. to get me to, um, the hospital in Riverside. Riverside's where I was born. And that's where my grandparents lived at the time. Um, and I remember looking at my grandmother um, and I was like, grandma, I don't want to do this. And she goes, well, honey, I think it's a little late for that now. And I remember just being so frightened about this whole experience, you know? And um, yeah. And so my option, my only option I thought was going to be to live with my grandparents, but they had already worked it out that I was going back home. So that freaked me out. So here I've got my daughter. I've got this man with me. Who's not a good charming. Right. And, and now I got to go home and I'm like, this is like bringing two like hells together. (laughs) I mean, I laugh about it now when I think about it, because it's so crazy. Was he an addict? Yeah. He was a meth addict. Mm-hmm. Right. So came back and um, it took six months for me to, by the time my daughter Laurel was one month old, I remember, and this is how naive I was about even being a mother, you know, the bike, the old bike seats that sit in the back that have no support for a kid. Okay. Mm-hmm. All I knew was I need to get a job and I need to get out of here. So I bundle her up, got her all wrapped up. She's one month old. She's in on in this little car seat 
and I'm riding my bicycle to the nearest grocery store to see if I can get a job. Hmm. And so I've got her in my arms as I'm interviewing, filling out the application. Um, the guy gives me a job immediately. Um, and it took me six months of just like working, saving money. And then I was able to get uh, my first apartment, move out of the house. Wow. Yeah. What, what was your experience back in the house then with like your daughter and your parents? Well, there was this feeling of, I wonder if they're different. I wonder if they've changed, but I remember my grandparents drove us halfway um, because I was in Southern California. My parents were in Northern. So we met halfway to basically, you know, shift us into a different car to go up North. And I remember thinking, I just would like my mom to give me a hug and mm. tell me that she misses me. She didn't even look at me. She said, where's that baby? And she picked up my daughter like she owned her. And I remember thinking, oh, God, nothing's changed. You know? So that was why there was such an urgency. You know, most most moms at least get three months off. I was like, no, I need to go back. I need to make money. I need to get out of here. And so that's what I did. What was, um, was the guy working? You know, he had, he had good periods of time where um, he could stay clean. Well, I shouldn't say good periods of time. I'd say three to six months, which was good periods of time comparatively. Yeah. I mean, anything was right. <laughs> so, um, you know, and he'd work for, you know, different like moving companies and stuff like that. Mostly he would make um, cash under the table, you know, so there was a little bit of help sometimes. So I remember thinking, you know, when, once we got our first apartment, like, okay, this stability, you know, should be good. And what are you, 17 years old? Yeah. Oh my God. And so I'm thinking, okay, so if we get married, then everything will be okay. Mm -hmm. um, Never um, So that's what we did. You know, we got married and of course nothing changed. And then I had my um, second daughter. I got pregnant when I was 20. I had her right, right before I turned 21. Wow. Yeah. It's like, talk about no childhood. Oh, at all. Yeah. I mean, the, the best parts of my childhood are with my grandparents, where I really felt like a kid. Didn't have to do any chores, didn't have to take care of anybody, be responsible for anybody, you know, didn't have to manage, oh, is mom getting drunk? Do I need to go clean up her vomit? Like, what's going on with dad? Like, there was none of that. Yeah. So essentially, I didn't get a childhood. And that's you know, I'm in an interesting phase of life now where my inner child is getting to like finally go out and play and have fun. Yeah. Really have fun, you know, and I'm really grateful for that, but it also brings up a lot of emotion. Cause I'm like, wow, there's so many things I didn't get to experience. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and I was in that relationship from 15 to 25. Wow. You know, it took, it took, God, it took forever. It seemed like to really, truly leave him, you know? And what was the final straw? So I came, um, I had worked my way up the corporate ladder uh, for a, a company that sold Visa and MasterCard service. What were you doing? Basically learned how to do telemarketing. And then I worked myself up to VP of marketing just wow. because I'm really good at sales. And so I remember coming home because- No I was call, no high school degree. Uh, no, I did get my GED. GED, okay. Yeah. Uh, but no college education. So I remember coming home and I remember my eldest daughter showing very familiar signs of sexual abuse. Mm. And I mm. realized, oh, crap, this has 
totally repeated itself. This is like, of all the things I didn't, it didn't occur to me that that would happen, but I also still hadn't really dealt with my issues yet. Right. Everything's just t- total survival mm-hmm. for t- 25 years. Everything was just survival. So I immediately quit my job, started collecting unemployment. How old was she? Seven. Yeah, she was seven because we were eight when we left. So I quit my job and then I started trying to create a plan, you know, and I I would slowly move out things um, to my grandparents' house. I knew I could only leave with what I could put in the car. It had to be a situation where obviously he, you know, didn't know when it was going to happen. And I had made a few attempts um, and it was not successful. So it got to the point where, you know, he was, there was no like, situation. he caught you or what, what happened? Yeah. Like, like, like he would catch me and then I, you know, would try to lie about it or something. Um, mm-hmm. Cause there was a lot of physical abuse going on too. Like my daughter saw me, you know, being mm. physically abused. And so I remember thinking I'm going to have to get really strategic here. And that's probably about the time I picked up Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And that book completely changed my life because it started talking about self-mastery. And that's when I realized I got to start mastering myself and I got to get us the hell out of here. And then I got to figure out how do, how does this not repeat itself again? Hmm. You know, because I left thinking I want a different life. And now here I am. Another, another generation has been born and it has happened. And you were able to see that? I could see it. I just didn't know how do I get to the other side of that? All I could think of was just get help, get therapy, get something, you know? And so um, it took about a year of planning and, you know, and and multiple attempts. And finally, you know, I would role play with my daughters, every possible escape route. The youngest, she was too young to, to know what we were doing. And I couldn't tell her she would obviously say something. But the eldest knew, and so she could keep a secret. So what would you say to her? Uh, well, she was the one. She was like, Mommy, um, we got to get out of here. And we got to go. And mm-hmm. so we would we would um, role play all the different scenarios, all the way down to like the most severe, which would be throw a mattress out of the second story window, jump out of the window, land on the mattress, get in the car and go. Like I had to think of every possible thing because of how he was. And now Mm. luckily that's not how it had to play out. Um, I remember I I had figured out the day that we were going to go and I was waiting for my unemployment check. Unemployment check came at the same time every single week, not this week. I needed that for gas. So the check doesn't come. And I'm thinking to myself, what the hell? There's enough, you know, out of the girl's room that if he goes in there, he's going to notice things, enough things are missing. And so I thought, well, we're just going to have to, you know, do the best that we can. So he got high that night, like he did most nights. And um, I decided to get high with him to keep him busy. So um, he was on meth. I was on meth. And because he had been putting it in my drinks um, for so long, like against my will, like I never mm. be high. I had actually learned, and this is what I realized. I was learning bits of meditation through this whole process. And it's only because I'm a meditator now that I recognize it because I didn't want to experience being high. So I would focus on how do I lower my heart rate? How do I get myself to fall asleep? How do I not like be fidgety and agitated? All of the things that I on meth. And that's what I worked on 
for the longest time. So when it came time where I chose to join him for the sake of, did he think that that was weird? Um, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, if anything, I think he was more excited. Like finally it worked. Um, and so I did, but I actually didn't get high. I did not feel high at all, but he thought I was. So basically, you know, here he was high. I kept him distracted all night. And then through the next morning, he, um, got really paranoid. We were two months late on our car payment. And he said, I think I hear a tow truck coming. I think you need to go move the van and go park it in the parking garage so that, um, it doesn't get, you know, so my daughters are asleep on the couch. I had put them to sleep with their shoes on because I knew we're going to go. I just don't know how it's going to happen. Mm. And he had taken their shoes off. So I thought we're leaving without shoes. I had two backpacks next to the door that had everything we needed, the extra van key so that he didn't have access and all of our documentation. How did you feel? Oh my God. It was like, I was like, it was like a panic and yet a, a calm, like have to stay because I I knew enough that if I was in panic mode, I could only see like this and I needed to see bigger. Mm-hmm. So I go and I move the van. My daughters are asleep when I leave the apartment. So that means there's only a few minutes have gone by. I pull the van up and both of my daughters are now awake downstairs with no shoes on um, crying. Mm-hmm. I mean, Laurel had said that, um, that basically the dad had woken them up yelling at them. And so now they're here they are. And I was like, wait, they're both here. This is it. This is the opportunity. And I could, I heard the voice, you know, really loudly say, now you have to go now. And so I yelled out the code word, which was blueberries. Both girls got in the van. Did that mean just run to the car? blueberries meant you get in the car it's happening now everything we've been training for this is what's happening um and i remember my youngest she was just excited because all she knew was that that meant that um we were going on an adventure right so here she is she's excited the eldest is kind of like in panic mode Mm. i looked at her and i said no matter what no matter what you see no matter what you hear you are not to unlock this car door unless it's me or the police and she said okay mom so I locked her in, mm. car was running. I locked her in and I ran upstairs so that I could get the two backpacks because we needed it. And um, and as I'm approaching the door, he's standing right there. And I'm thinking to myself, no effing way. It is not, he's not going to stop me this time. And so whatever came over me, um, I swear it must've been my higher power because I just turned on the charm. Oh no, I'm going to go get a babysitter. We're going to party all day. Like he's like, and I could see that he was suspicious. And so he's like, okay, well, I'll go with you. And I noticed that he didn't have shoes on. I was like, okay, we'll go, you know, go get your shoes. And I knew they were in the back part of the apartment. So as he's running to the bedroom to get his shoes, I grabbed the two backpacks, Look it. I grab the girl's shoes and I run down the stairs. My feet come out from underneath me. And so all my daughter sees is me flying down the stairs and I look at her and I'm giving her the this, you know, the sign to unlock the door. So she unlocks the door. I throw the backpacks in, put it in reverse. And then I call grandma and grandpa because I've got seven minutes to drive there. Whatever's in the garage, help them have them put it in the van and leave because um, my husband at the time, he could run super fast. And I knew we only lived a mile away. So I was like, he could probably want to run a seven minute mile. So that's what, that's what I was guesstimating was the time frame I had. 
What had you told your grandparents? They knew. They knew I was trying to leave. They knew um, that there was abuse happening, all of it. And so then I told grandpa, I said, I have no money. My check didn't come. He's like, I got you. So I back up into their driveway. They've got the garage door open. They're both helping load up the van. Grandpa puts a wad of cash. He said, just go. We'll take care of everything else. And off we went. Um, Where were you headed? Back home. Back home to my parents' house. So it was the the decision of, you know, uh, the, the lesser of two evils, you know, and at the time they were in a clean phase. So I felt like, okay, if they're in a clean phase, at least I could get myself restarted somewhere. Um, and they did, they were clean for quite some time, which was really nice. You know, we did have really good moments, mm-hmm. uh, but unfortunately the habit, you know, it continued. And so at some point I decided I'm not going to keep doing this, this cycle with them. Um, but I, you know, I basically started over. Were I, you not afraid that he was going to come up there or I, I was totally afraid. The moment I got there, I called the Mountain View police department. And I said, I need to file a restraining order. I need help. I know he's coming. Like, you know, so they did. They got me an emergency restraining order. And he did actually show up for the um, the the restraining order hearing, which shocked me. And I remember sitting in the courtroom and he showed up and or no, I was sitting waiting to go into the courtroom. And I saw him come through the front door and I panicked. I thought Mm. I I was going to come out of my chest. And um a woman who was a domestic violence advocate, she saw my reaction. And she knew. She must have known because she watched me come into the courtroom and then he tried to approach me and I was frozen. I was shaking. And so she she's behind me and she reaches forward. She said, will you please step outside with me? I'm a domestic violence advocate. My name is Jillian. And that's the name of my second daughter. So I felt relieved like, okay, I know that, that you know. So I go outside and she said, look, you are, um, he, the way he is with you right now, it's very inappropriate. He's not even supposed to be talking with you. Um, she's like, so I'm going to, you know, basically represent you. I'm going to go talk to the bailiff to make sure that the bailiff keeps an eye on him, um, while we get through this proceeding. And then I'd like to be there to support you. And I was like, yeah, I'll take any help I can get. And, um, so we went through that hearing, you know, and I got the restraining order and full custody of the kids and all of that. Um, and then immediately we got into therapy. Wow. What happened to him? Um, basically just that the restraining order had been filed. So he just couldn't be near us, but there was no proof yet of anything. I mean, just enough to get a restraining order. Right. But because he had always worked odd jobs, never worked under his uh, social, cause he had other children and other marriages, um, he had child support. So he couldn't keep a job without his wages being attached, you know, plus he had his addiction. Um, so even though, Reports were filed uh, from the therapists um, to Child Protective Services because of things that came out in therapy, things that I had reported as well. Um, They were always trying to find him to, you know, bring something to court, but it was never successful. He was really good at moving, you know, and then at some point, you know, the girls became adults and it was like, well, is it necessary anymore? You know, at some point, do you really want to go through all that again? And you don't. Right. And last we had heard um, at at that point was that he was, you know, in Florida somewhere and um, at that time and, you know, same thing, you know, couldn't pay his $100 rent out of a trailer park, was with some underage girl. So I was like, nothing's changed. 
you know? Mm. Yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> so now you got to heal yourself, but then you also have these two little ones. Right. And it's so challenging because I was so triggered as a mom. The ages that whatever age they were at, it reminded me of when I was that age. So it was really hard. You know, when your own children trigger you, like it's really hard to be a parent. There's really no time for me to deal with my own stuff. All I can do is how do I survive through this and try to be the best parent that I possibly can be and then try to get help whenever I can. Oh, and be the main provider, the only provider, because it wasn't like I was getting child support or anything, but it, it has all worked out. You know, I, we started our life over. I got into the same, you know, uh, sales just to make ends meet. And then I went into a trade and that's how now I have my own practice. And um, interestingly enough, tomorrow will be the 19th year anniversary, uh, which is also my mother's birthday um, of when we left and started. It. So, wow. yeah, it's very, it's like you're, very divinely inspired, you know, like you can just tell that your higher power was with you through that experience and getting you out and God, God. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also too, I just feel, I don't know. It just seems like you had this kind of like this knowing kind of like this inner knowing of certain things that yeah. is interesting to me. You know, like I'm and wondering if there's like some that. past life stuff. <laughs> there must be, because it's still like that for me. Like, no matter how bad something gets, I just feel like, nope, it's all going to work out. It's all going to be okay. Yeah. So talk about, you know, what were kind of the key moments of your healing journey, modalities, you know, mm -hmm. like talk about that for you. So the trade that I first got into was I went to massage school. Now I had never had a massage. It was a logical, <laughs> right? It was a logical decision. I was like, well, I know how to sell. I know how to market. So that means I could create my own business. Why this did you, yeah. Why did you decide to, so random? It is so random, but like, I actually didn't know how to explore what field to go into. A, a, an advertisement came on the TV and the two options that piqued my interest, believe it or not, were mechanic and massage therapy because I was a like, mechanic. Oh, I know, right? And I actually really like the whole idea of putting things together, taking them apart. But then when I thought about what my hands would look like, I was like, mm -hmm. but I like the idea of helping people. So that's what I did. And it was when I got into school and I started receiving massages that I realized my body's holding on to a whole lot of stuff. Had you been in therapy at this point? Like what sort of like therapy? Very, had yeah, I had gone casual. To, um, it was regular therapy. Like I would speak and they would tell me back what I said. It was, I can't remember what that's called. And then I would set goals, you know, of things I wanted to change in my life. And so I went through massage school realizing, okay, when somebody touches me, I'm remembering this. Uh, or I'm finally in such a deep state, but now I can't quite wake up. Uh, different things were, were coming up. Were you aware of like that trauma was stored in the body? Did you have I that knowledge? No, no idea of that concept mm. at all. And then when I would give a massage, it was so like second nature. I just mm. knew, oh, this person needs this here. Mm. No. And even my teacher, she said, I'd like you to give me a massage this time. And so I gave her a massage and she's like, 
you are going to take this somewhere. It's going to go beyond this. Wow. And so before I ever graduated, I actually started my practice. And um, the first thing I realized was massage is great. Don't get me wrong. But when people have core problems, and this is not even the mental emotional piece, this is the physical piece. It's not getting to the core problem. So then I felt like, well, that means I'm destined to make money off of people who will never get better for the rest of my life. And that didn't feel good to me. Mm. So I sought out different modalities that were more conscious. How do I treat a body, get them out of pain, but teach people how to self-treat, maybe uh, retrain their habits, things like that. And so I found a modality called push therapy, which is similar to rolfing, uh, which also taught self-treatment. Then I what also- is it? Can you explain what that is? Um, so it's basically a different way of working the tissue where you're going across the grain of the muscle. The client never has to um, disrobe. You don't have to use any oils or creams. So it's very easy to come in, get an appointment, go back to work. Kind of like Thai massage? Um, not like Thai, but yeah, no, it's not like Thai. Okay. Yeah. Um, it that's can be, the only like clothes on massage I've ever had. So yeah. I just went with it. <laughs> it. It almost has more of a physical therapy feel to it. Okay. You know, but what I liked was teaching people how to, to treat themselves. And that's when I realized I really liked this idea of people feeling empowered mm. to do something about their own pain. So it was just starting on the physical level though. But as I was working with people, people were naturally talking about all of their problems, all of their trauma. And I'm thinking to myself, I got my own issues. Mm. There's no way I can help these people. But people were just continually talking to me. And I thought, well, okay. So I then you know, found other modalities like process acupressure that would allow you to at least support somebody on the table as they were emotionally processing different acupressure mm. points, you know, to help like calm them. Um and that's when I really started getting more passionate about the trauma aspect because people were bringing their trauma. I was healing my trauma. It was just like, it was a trauma overload. Everything was, mm -hmm. look at the trauma. And so I just kept continuing. Anytime I found a modality that um, worked for me, I wanted to get certified or at least learn how to do it. Um, and then at some point I brought the, um, Ayurvedic medicine into it, which is uh, where my degree is now. How did you get exposed to that? So in, and, you, and also, well, and also explain what that, cause there's probably people who aren't familiar with the term. So Ayurveda means the science of life. It's the medicine that comes from India over 5,000 years ago where food is medicine. We're aligned with nature. We have all of the elements within us and, um, all elements are around us. We are affected by everything externally and internally. So once we understand that and we know what's out of balance, what our basic nature is, then we can try to come back into balance with different spices, herbs. Um, there are different, you know, herbs that we can use to help bring somebody back into balance. But the reality is, is it's mainly diet and lifestyle. If you can get your diet, lifestyle and routine in order, the rest is easy. It's not about throwing herbs at it. That's to help support once the diet lifestyle and routine are intact. So I, um, I had first heard about Ayurveda in massage school and my, uh, massage teacher, she said, Oh, you're a pitta kapha. And I thought, what a silly word. I don't know what this is, but basically, you know, she said, well, see how you're, you're thicker. And, you know, she said, okay, that's more the kapha energy, but see how you always turn red. 
um, and things like that. She said, well, that's more the Pitta energy. So that was the only time I had heard it. And then uh, my now ex-husband. You're like, uh, thanks. I'm thick and I get red. Thanks, lady. Right. right. Well, I, I <laughs> to do with that, you know, but she was learning. So she was excited. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, so then my um, my now ex-husband, he had given me a book called um, Yoga and Ayurveda by Dr. David Frawley. And that's where I got to really find out, okay, what is this Ayurveda? And I was fascinated by it. And then I had a, a medical uh, issue that came up that Western medicine couldn't figure out, you know, what was going on. And through some divine messaging and divine intervention, um, I was led to actually seek out an Ayurvedic doctor. And so I, when I went to see him, he spent 90 minutes with me, asked me so many questions that nobody had ever asked. And he said, yeah, I know exactly what's going on. I've got a plan. And he put together a plan and I was amazed and I totally trusted him. And that's actually Dr. Jayaraj Ankudi Kanath who wrote the the forward of my book. And I, um, so I left his office that day and it was also an academy. And I signed up immediately for classes, just wanting to learn about myself. Is he local? He's in the Bay Area? Yeah. So um, the um, academy is in Milpitas. So I basically brought all of that information back into my practice because anything I learned that I'm excited about, I share. And I didn't realize it would take me this far um, to being a doctor of Ayurveda, but that's, you know, where it led. Um, and in the meantime, I've still got my practice where I'm helping people with their trauma and I'm developing a work that doesn't have a name at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, as I know is that here are the things I'm doing. And I actually had to really think about it. What am I doing during these sessions? Because mm -hmm. things come out and happen. So as I would document more, that's when I realized, okay, there's an actual process here. Now I need to, to give that process a name. And that was interesting too, because I kept thinking the right name will come at the right time. And I woke up at 3 a.m. and that's when I had it. And it was an acronym. Um, I kept hearing it here, but not as you spell it, A-D-H-E-R-E, but as it's pronounced, which is E-D-H-I-R, and that's what the acronym is for, which is explore, discover, heal, integrate, and relate. Those were the five steps. And so um, I immediately wrote that down. I looked up, okay, does somebody have this name? And then I got it registered trademarked immediately because I was like, nope, this is exactly the work that's going to come out. I just need to make sure I've got it. And, um, and that was happening while I was writing my book at the same time. Um, and now, you know, here we are today. I mean, so a lot of it, what there's, what is there? There's three different types. Like when it comes, I read a book, somewhat of a oh, book. Oh, on Ayurveda. Ayurveda okay. Yeah. So, with the, yeah the three universal energies are Vata, Pitta, and Kapha. Uh -huh. so Vata is air and space. Pitta is water and fire. Mm -hmm. And Kapha is um, earth and water. So these are essentially all of the elements. We just call them a little bit differently than, let's say, Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. So when these three elements are balanced within your system, you are completely balanced. Now, I have yet to meet somebody who's completely balanced because we live in a world and in a nature that is out of balance. So it's about noticing when you go, go too far out of balance and how do you bring it back into balance by understanding your own nature understanding the seasons, understanding how those seasons affect you. And it affects each person differently. So what I absolutely love about Ayurveda is it really focuses on the uniqueness of each individual. Mm. I might be a Pitta Kappa constitution, 
you might happen to be the same, but we will experience it very differently. So whatever the protocol is for me, it's going to be different for you. And whatever's out of balance for you is going to show up differently than it is for me. So it's all very unique. And it's, you know, we look at you physically, mentally, uh, emotionally, psychologically, and digestively. So all of those things need to be in balance. If your mind is out of balance, guess what? Your gut will be at some point too, or vice versa. So my specialty is in the mind for Ayurveda. It's called Sattva Vajaya Chikitsa, which is a long Sanskrit name. It's essentially um, Ayurvedic psychology or Ayurvedic psychiatry. And that's really where my passion is, um, is to support people mentally and emotionally, bridging that gap between that heart and mind disconnect that happens because of trauma. So I don't necessarily push or promote a specific modality Although I'm very proud to, you know, have my Ayurvedic degree. I try to speak a language that is comfortable and easy for everyone. So somebody might come in and let's say they've come in for specialized uh, body work. And maybe I notice, maybe I approach them from behind and they flinch. Something as simple as that is a cue that tells me there's something there. This person has had an experience, you know, or sometimes it's intuitive. Sometimes I'll just sense, wow, there's a lot going on. And it could, could be people come that way and then they finally find out about the Ayurvedic piece. They find out um, the, the, the trauma specialty or people have heard through the, like either reading my book, they're like, hey, I'd like to work with you. I've got this, that and the other. Um, and now, you know, because of COVID, it, it opened everything up online. So I was able to, you know, see people online because of that. That's amazing. Yeah. I love what you're doing. I think it's so cool and so needed. I mean, where do you feel like um, where we're going wrong as far as treating trauma? Well, that's a good question because there's a lot out there on treating trauma. And I don't want to say we're go- we're doing anything wrong because yeah. I think if people are trying to get better and heal, that's doing right if we want to label right and wrong. I think that there are many different options and whatever option works best for you, that's the option you should go with. And if whatever you're doing is not working, you should keep seeking the method that, that may work. A lot of people who end up in front of me are have gone through the traditional Western psychological approach and are so turned off by it, mainly because they don't want to sit there and start from the beginning and talk about the mm-hmm. whole thing. And I don't feel that's necessary so far. I haven't felt that that is necessary. When somebody comes in, it's about just being present with what is. So really like finding out what's happening in this moment. What are you feeling in this moment? What's happening in your life? And let's start there. And usually it's through that doorway that we will get to whatever that other issue is. That's usually some sort of wounded inner child. I feel like that's how my therapist was when I started working with her. Cause that's like, that's one thing that makes, I think people feel ambivalent or that's what I was dreading. Like I knew that it wasn't working with my therapist, but I also didn't want to have to start over with somebody from brand new. And that was exactly what my therapist Mary did was like, we would, we will. And it's still to that day. It's like, what's present for you right now. Right. And then it's like, through that, we're able to go backwards, you know? 
And I still work, I work with a psychodynamic coach who specializes in depth psychology. So, you know, young uh-huh. psychology. Mm-hmm. and he works with me the same way. It's like, well, what's coming up now? You know, and I love it, you know, and we always get to something always. Do you have like an interesting, like patient, like client story that you would want to share or you think would be beneficial for people to hear? Well, there are quite a few. Um, I've had cases where people have come in with physical pain and we've tried the whole, you know, doing all the physical stuff that I know, even looking at diet and lifestyle and still that pain doesn't go away. And it wasn't until we started doing more of the um, inner child, the adhere process that the pain finally went away. So I, th- I feel it's important for people to understand if you have some sort of pain, it may actually be more on the somatic level. Mm-hmm. We need to look at it from a completely different angle. Um, one woman, she was holding on to her shoulder. Her right shoulder was incredible pain. And through the, the sessions that we had, she was holding on to the disappointment that she had with she felt she disappointed her father and her father had passed. So she didn't feel like there was closure. Mm -hmm. We had to go through that. We had to go all the way through her as a little kid feeling like she could never live up to his expectations. And through that session, actually the response she got, and again, this is all through her own psyche. So there's no way to say that this actually happened or it didn't happen. It's happening because the psyche, it's already being generated in the mind. So the moment your mind believes something, it's happened. So through that session, you could see that her father actually felt like he was a failure as a father. Mm. They had this beautiful moment together. And even though he had already passed and as she came out of that and like, you know, they had this beautiful moment. She came out of the session, her arm, her shoulder pain never came back, you know? And I have, I have another very interesting case where, um, this woman, she couldn't live on her own. She was living, um, in an abusive, uh, psychologically abusive, uh, home with her mother. Her father had passed whom She was really close to everything completely overwhelmed her. Couldn't go to the grocery store, had a hard time taking care of herself. Bathing was an issue. And we worked together for seven months. And in the seventh month, she said, I've looked for an apartment. And I was like, oh my God, I am so excited. So now here we are. I think we've been working together for maybe 15 months. And this is a really extreme case. I don't expect that I will work with people for an incredibly long period of time, although it can totally happen. But in this case, because of where she was and where she'd like to be, there are some steps needed to get there. She's now living on her own. We're finally starting to have conversations about what does it look like if you um, provide for yourself? Cause mom's still providing. Um, we haven't made it to the grocery store yet, but we're online shopping, you know, wow. bathing is regular. She's actually doing her own work. So like she'll take, um, she has, you know, the, the workbook. And so she will carry this thing around with her and she'll go through the I'm triggered um, worksheet. And she's like, okay, so this week I, I took this with me. I wrote down, you know, all the things that trigger me and she's able to work the steps. So now when she gets online, cause she lives on another part of the United States, she tells me, Hey, this is what's coming up for me. Whereas before she was not that articulate. 
I was the one explaining to her, here's what's happening. Now she's telling me, here's what I'm noticing. Yeah, she has the language that is now. Exactly what I want to hear, you know. And what's what's fascinating is that she'll be really hard on herself. I'm like, let's go back. Let me tell you about who I met way back. Yeah, then. exactly. Remind her where she was at. And I think that's super important. Remind mm. people where they were because sometimes we forget. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually guilty of doing the same things. My my friends and my um, social support group all the time are reminding me, especially when I get hard on myself, they're like, Janine, uh, no, come here, you know? And we need that. We need that support. Wow. You know? And I truly believe if you have an intention to heal, you will heal. We cannot put a timeline on it, but it can happen. And I've seen it happen. I've lived it. I've got clients, you know, who have had great success. And I really feel like if we can all just support each other in whatever it is that's working for you, great. It doesn't have to be my way. If it's somebody else's, whatever, do it. Just do it. Be like courageous enough to turn around, look at your stuff, because at the end of the day, you have to live with yourself, right? And wouldn't you want to have the most amazing relationship with yourself if you're going to spend the rest of your life with yourself? That's what we need. But bam. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious about how your daughters are doing and what like their journeys looked like. Well, they're both married now. They both have two kids of their own. You know, they both have their, their careers. Um, I don't want to like expose too much, you know. Yeah. Um, but definitely they are, I would say they are much better parents than I could possibly be. And I love seeing that. Um, I love being a grandma. Um, in fact, I feel like I'm getting a second opportunity because Mm. I did not enjoy those years, um, with my own children. Mm -hmm. Now I'm able to like, um, be with my grandkids and really like be a kid with them, you know, and my daughters will tease me. They're like, Man, when we were growing up, mom served food and said, this is what you're getting. This is what you're mm-hmm. going to eat. But with the grandkids, she's like, okay, would you like your sandwich cut into stars or hearts? You know, just it's a very different thing. Um, and I just I totally appreciate that, you know, but there's a lot of great communication. We have a great relationship. Um, I'm willing to talk to them about anything. So if there's a memory that comes up, you know, from childhood, uh, totally willing to talk about that. Um, when they have struggles with their own parenting or life, we talk about it, you know. Um, and I see it as we're, we've been growing together this whole time. I mean, I was a kid when I had them. Yes, right? you were. So, um, and now here I am a very young grandma and I'm a very young single grandma. So now I'm getting the whole like, you know, dating experience. A young single grandma. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you look like you should maybe have a two-year-old. <laughs> Man, is that your dating profile headline, young single grandma? No, but it should be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a huge market out there for that. <laughs> but, you know, it's fun because my inner child is getting an experience or hmm. should my inner young adult, you know, like I'm essentially a woman in my 40s having the 20s experience. And it's such an important oh, you. I've been in a long, long, basically long-term relationships or marriages since I was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. I'm 44. Mm-hmm. There's a lot I missed out on, mm-hmm. you know? And so in some ways I've, there's a naiveness that needs mm-hmm. to have maturity, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm working with my psychodynamic coach through it, 
I'm like journaling after every experience, you know, like, okay, red flag about this. And what was the red flag about me and my behavior, you know? Um, and I'm loving it. I'm just totally loving it. So I'm giving myself basically a minimum of one year to date, not get into anything serious, to really figure out what is it that I like? What don't I like? Because I've learned how to conform and form myself for whatever partner I had. And I don't recommend that, but that's what we do. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So I don't know if there's another long-term relationship in my future and that's okay. PBD? I'm having an incredible time just with myself. So that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like I've done the marriage thing. I've done the long-term relationship thing. I've done the motherhood thing. And now I'm doing the grandmother thing. The single grandma thing. Right. So we'll see. I don't know. The young single grandma thing. Right. We need a t-shirt for that. We do need a t-shirt. Um, you're amazing. Thank you. I could talk to you for forever. What, um, where should people find you? Uh, you can go to goodbytension.com. You can also find my book, Abundance Beyond Trauma, there. Um, I do see people online all over the world. So, Do you prefer people to buy the book through your website or on Amazon, or does it matter? It doesn't matter because on my website, it takes it you It goes. Out. Okay. Just yeah. yeah. And if you've ordered the book or have a copy of the book and you haven't gotten the free downloadable workbook, make sure that you go to my website onto the contact form so that I can send that to you. I need it. I didn't get it. But if the, so um, it's a, di it's not okay. Cause I was going to go and buy the, the, workbook. the workbook here that's in paperback, but you get a free downloadable version. Um, when you purchase the book. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, groovy. Well, you're awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that wraps up today's episode. As always, I hope you heard something that can help you on your own journey. And as always, I know that you did. Thanks again to Janine. She's the shit. I really, really, really love talking to her. So go check out her book. Go check out her practice. Uh, we will be doing a workshop with her soon. And yeah, go go work with her. I think that she is offering some really amazing stuff and um, yeah, just couldn't speak more highly of her. So just wanted to share that this past weekend, we had our first little shit show retreat. So it's kind of like a trial run to see how it would go if I wanted to do, you know, gathering weekend gatherings for us shit shows. So we had a, you know, a small group of people that have been kind of OGs in the, in the Patreon community. And we got together this weekend um, in Florida and got some Airbnbs and just ate and ate and ate and ate and ate <laughs> and, and had a whole lot of fun, had so much fun, played games, laughed. We had a disco party. Uh, we did a sound bath. We did yoga and it just felt like old friends together having a good time even though, you know, this is the first time all of us were meeting in person, except for I'd met one gal, Michelle, I'd met in person before. But um, yeah, it just felt like we we're all old time buddies, family, but more fun than family. Continue to be blown away at the community that's built. So just highly recommend that you DM the join Patreon 
if you are looking for your peeps, uh, you can hit me up on Instagram or my email, Andrea at Adult Child Podcast, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. And um, I'm going to go because I'm, I'm hungry. I'm going to go drive to Wawa. They have anybody know what Wawa is? They have them down here in Florida. I'm going to go get myself a Italian hoagie. I will see you guys next week for another fucking amazing episode of this podcast. Or I'll see you on Saturday for our thit Uh It's going to be super raw, super vulnerable. Super excited for y'all to hear it. It's going to be a good day, I promise. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 